Today, we're excited to sit down with Debbie Collard, a top executive coach and partner in a leadership development program. Through her guidance, she helps business executives reach their highest potential. In this interview, we will be digging into the secrets for success that Debbie has gathered from her many years of experience working with successful executives. You will be treated to an inspiring chat with one of the leading voices in executive coaching. Welcome to the Subscription Maker Podcast. This is your host, Zachary Alexander. Please hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts so that you won't miss any new episodes. During uncertain times and economic downturns, it's more important than ever to unlock your potential. Doing so can, can provide you with the resources needed to thrive despite market conditions. If that interests you, we've got just the expert for you. Debbie, welcome to the Subscription Maker Podcast. Thank you, Zachary. I'm so excited to be here. So how do you define potential? Well, potential is one of those nebulous things. I think every single person has it. It's what they do with it that makes it into where someone can say later, oh, that person had such potential and look, they realized it. But I believe every person has potential. It's a matter of what that potential, where it is and how they tap into it and then how they capitalize on it. Okay, let's go a little deeper there. Do you use any special tools to assess potential? I wouldn't say I use tools to assess potential, but I do use tools to tap into the potential that's there for people. So there's all kinds of personality instruments out there, attitudinal assessments. I'm an, uh, a um, certified in energy leadership index, which is an, an attitudinal assessment, which uh, one thing I love about that is unlike personality assessments where your ratings don't usually change, you know, if they say, oh, if you are this, then you're probably that for the rest of your life, unless some big life event happens. With attitudinal assessment, you can change it by changing your attitude, adjusting your attitude. And so awareness is the first step. So I use the energy leadership index. I also use other um, personality instruments, but you know what the number one tool I use? Listening. That'll work. So did your definition of potential, uh, did that change uh, because of the pandemic? And are you considering changing it again because of the great reshuffle? Um, yes and no. No, because I believe, I don't really have a definition of potential because it's different for everybody, but I believe everybody has it. And so, no, that didn't, the pandemic didn't change that fact or neither did the uh, great reshuffle that we've started. But what it does is it brings out that potential in different ways in people. So people who had to shift because of the pandemic, because their business model or the job they were doing or where they were getting their customers or whatever was true for them in business, um, a lot of that shifted because of the pandemic necessarily. Those who could pivot with it and tap into their potential to make that pivot successful for them, great. Um, those in the reshuffle that's happening that can take advantage of, oh, 
I'm not realizing my potential at this location in this job at this time. Maybe I could do it better somewhere else. And that's not just happening in the tech industry, by the way. Of course, I'm seeing it in lots of places. We're having lots of transitions. Many of my clients are, I've been doing this for a while now, and I don't think I'm really living into who I can really be. So, so yes, yes, we're seeing that get defined in different ways, but by each individual who's experiencing it. For my own personal business in coaching, uh, it's so funny to me because I'll get contacted by people on LinkedIn and other things. And they say, oh, did your business shift during the pandemic? Are you trying to recover? Let us give you some money and a loan. And I'm like, well, you can take that somewhere else because honestly, my business only got better during the pandemic because people decided that they needed coaching and needed help to achieve what they wanted to achieve. Okay. So what if I ask the question like this? How do you define executive potential? Okay, that's a little bit different. That's a little bit different answer. Um, everybody has potential. Not everybody has potential to be an executive. Not everybody wants to be an executive. I had a gentleman that worked for me for quite a few years, like seven years. And every quarter we would do his performance review and talk about his development and what he wanted to do next. And he kept saying the same sentence to me over and over again. We don't need all chiefs. We need good Indians too. I do not want to do anything else but the job I'm doing. And I want to do it to the best of my potential. So don't talk to me about my next promotion and where I'm going. I don't want to go anywhere. I want to stay right here doing this job. I love it. And I said, that's awesome. That's awesome. So how, what other ways can we develop you? And that was, so we changed the conversation. So not everybody wants to be an executive. Not everybody wants to have that responsibility that goes with being an executive. But some people who do don't have the skills and abilities that they need to transition into that level and that position. And they may have the potential for it, but they haven't got the training or the experiences or mentoring or whatever it is that they need to be successful at it. What my definition of that is, is if they have the desire to be an executive, whatever that is at whatever organization they're at, and if they have the willingness to go out and obtain what they maybe don't yet have. So my definition then, after that long explanation, is probably mostly this, the willingness, desire, and humble to put yourself out there to get to that next level. Debbie, tell us a little bit about Debbie Collard Executive Coaching and Leadership Development. Sure. Um, Zachary, how little do you want to know or how much do you want to know about this? <laughs> I could talk about it for hours. Okay, um, in that case, just be brief. Just tell us what I wouldn't say. I hate the word brief. Uh, there's, there's, there's somewhere in between there's brief and then there's, you know, expose like, and then there's, tell us what we need to know. How's that? Okay. I'll tell you what you need to know. Okay. I spent over 30 years in business. Um, uh, most of that was with the Boeing company. 
I retired as an executive there from corporate. I worked in all different types of the business. But one thing that was common for me throughout that 30 years, and when I was in other roles before that, I was in the Air Force, and I worked for the U.S. government, and um, then came to the Boeing Company. So I spent a lot of time in different business aspects and leadership roles. One thing that was common for me throughout all of that was I was coaching. I was help, it called different names. I was mentoring. I was their supervisor. I was this, I was that. But really, I was always trying to help people be better than they were to achieve what they wanted to achieve, achieve their goals. And um, it took me a year after, and I don't call it retirement, I call it preferment. So I switched from my 30 years there, went on to something that I preferred more, and that was coaching. And I uh, gave myself a little break. And then I said, you know, and I worked with the coach and I said, you know what? I want to coach. I want to, I want to continue to help people. And my coach said, you know, you've already been doing it for years and years. So I decided to take coaching, helping people achieve what they want to do, getting over their own barriers to success and combine that with all my experience in business my experience uh, with the Baldrige National Quality Program about excellence and put it all together. And I'm all about helping leaders achieve excellence. Okay, I'd like to, I'd like to go back to something you just said. Okay. You, you talked about barriers to success. Mm-hmm. What does that look like for you or to you? Uh, yeah, to me as a coach, Again, just like the definition of potential, it's very unique to the individual. Sometimes um, people are their own barriers to success because they uh, show up in a way that doesn't serve them. You know, other people can't see what, what the potential is there because of how they show up or they um, don't know how to present themselves or they've had something happen to them in the past that's or has served them in the past, help them get where they are. And so they have this belief that I need to keep doing that so I can continue to succeed. Well, at some point, maybe that becomes a barrier. That very thing that helped you succeed up to that point can become a barrier for you. And then it's helping them see that. So I would say the first step is always awareness, helping the person become aware of who they are, how they show up, how others receive them. And then we can start saying, okay, what's getting in your way? What do you want to achieve and what's getting in your way? And let's chip away at each of those things, each of those barriers so that they're not barriers, they're laid flat and you can overcome them. And I would say a large portion of the time, it's self-made, created, or perceived barriers. Okay. At this point in in the podcast, I'd like to take a point of personal privilege. I live a few miles from the Udvar-Hazy National Space Air and Space Museum. And there is a prototype of a tanker that led to the creation of this current generation of luxury airliners. And you worked on the Boeing airlift and tanker program. What was that like? Oh, it was both 
you, you know the the statement from the start of the novel it was the best of times it was the worst of times it was both of those things but in reverse so early on i, I started on the um c17 program in 1985 so i'm dating myself a little bit here but i started there in 1985 and it hadn't even had first flight yet right so it was in the development phase and um Pretty soon after a couple of years, we were being showing up in the paper as the beleaguered C-17 program, the, um, the programs in trouble. We had bad relationships with customers, with unions, with um, suppliers, you name it, we had bad relationships. And that, that was just in a lot of trouble. If you fast forward to today, C-17, shows up in all kinds of movies everywhere. We're on all humanitarian missions. I say we, even though I'm preferred, <laughs> but that's near and dear to my heart and always will be. Along with that were several other um, airline programs. The C-17 was the major one, but they um, combined some programs into one unit called Airlift and Tankers. So also in that was our tanker program. And at the time it was the KC-10 tanker. Um, which was a DC-10 for commercial airliners, but made into a tanker. And then it's since gone from that into a newer version uh, of tanker. But being on that program, it was horrible at the beginning. It was just, it was horrible because we were struggling. We were grasping for any life preservers we could get because we were just in trouble. And then then we started turning it around. We had great leadership who came in and was willing to roll up their sleeves and dig in with us. We had, um, we used the Baldridge criteria to help as a framework for what, what does a world-class organization look like? We started using, it was an internal assessment um, instrument that I guess that the company used at the time, but we used it, grasped onto it going, oh my gosh, we need anything that's gonna help us succeed. And we did. We turned it around and we were able to start applying for and winning quality awards because we turned it around so much. And it was, by the time I left that program and moved on to other jobs within Boeing, it was a predominant program in the company and um, airlift and tankers, everybody was coming to benchmark them and say, wow, how, how are you guys doing what you're doing? It feels different here. Um, and I will tell you, Zachary, during those horrible times transitioning into the good times, we could talk about this for a lot of podcasts worth, but what you need to know about that is I learned a lot of my leadership lessons during that time. I noticed that in, in doing the research on you, I noticed that you don't have a login button on your website. How, uh, why is that? Okay, um, so that's an interesting story. I have uh, two businesses that I'm a part of. I have Debbie Collard, Executive Coaching and Leadership Development, which is my sole practitioner business, my private practice for coaching. And with that, I primarily use... Um, one-on-one, uh, -on -one, I go by referrals. So it's, it's a fairly small uh, cadre of people that I have as customers for that. 
At the same time, I started with a a former colleague from Boeing, Susan Ireland. She and I started a leadership development program called Seasons Leadership. On that site, we do have a subscription model and a login button, (laughs) and we would love for people to come subscribe um, to Seasons Leadership. And that's got an interesting story too. So we started Seasons Leadership as an in-person training uh, 30 people to a class, and we started it the first week of March in 2020. <laughs> Nothing happening then. Nothing happened then. So um, literally, as we were flying home from that event, the first kickoff weekend was like, are we going to get home before everything is shut down? Am I going to have to rent a car and drive all these miles? So we got back and we said, okay, now that we're safely home, How do we pivot? (laughs) What do we do differently? So we took it online. It actually ended up being great for us because we um, ended up having in the two years that we ran the online cohorts, we had international participants. We had people from Germany, from France, from Australia, from um, Singapore. We had people all over the world and in all the time zones in the U.S., So that was wonderful for us because we got this richness uh, in the leadership program and how things show up in different parts of the world for leaders. And then we, after two years of that, we said, you know what? We're not reaching enough people. We're not getting out there with, it's limited. We're limiting ourselves because it's just the two of us training 30 people at a time in this year long program. And so we pivoted again. And we said, okay, we're going to go online and we're going to make leadership accessible. Because when we started it, we said, we learned so much, so much about leadership, so many leadership classes, so many um, situations that we were in. And we want to share that with leaders when they're ready to receive it. Not, they don't have to have passed a certain milestone like, oh, I've been here this many years, so now I can go to this class. We wanted to take all those barriers away and say, if you want to learn about leadership, you can come learn about leadership and you can learn from experienced leaders. And we have all kinds of guests on our podcast. So we have multiple things that we do on this subscription, but we do have the subscription model for Seasons Leadership. And it's simply not necessary for our private coaching practices because we stay full just with referrals on those. Now, do you have like, is it a mastermind program or do you kind of do like a peer development? And and when I mean peer development, I mean, basically you bring a bunch of people together, put them in a virtual room and say, okay, you guys deal with it. You know, we're going, we're going to, we're going to start people talking, but basically the members, the peers are able to drive the conversation. I would say we do both, but they're in separate sessions. So The seasons program, when we started it, was more of a mastermind program. And Susan and I were saying, what are the things that you need to know? What are the things we feel you need to learn to be, you know, different levels of leader and meet them where they were, find out what was true for them? Because we had all different types of leaders. And by the way, we believe everybody is a leader to somebody in some way. So we didn't limit it to say, oh, you have to have this many years experience, et cetera. We just said, if you want to learn about leadership, come do it. And we had entrepreneurs, we had corporate people, we had uh, yoga instructors, we had every, everything across the board in there. Um, 
but it was more mastermind as you described it, right? Then we also do these live events and we're planning to do them quarterly in 2023 where we take a scenario, a leadership scenario and we um, host this live event. Anyone can, can come to it, pay to come to it. And that is more a peer learning thing where we put them in there and we say, okay, here's the situation. And we're going to break you into roles. Sometimes we assign roles ahead of time and uh, they come to it and they're prepared to, to be in that mindset when they play the role. And then we let them loose. And then we come back together and say, okay, what did we learn from that? What, what came up for us? And then we work through any questions and stuff they have. And that has been our most popular most popular event by far was the, was the peer learning thing. We did one called Drama in the Workplace. And we had a situation where a certain thing happened and we, we read it off to them, let them ask questions. And then we said, okay, you're in roles. You were actually at that event and it happened. What do you do about it? And it was fascinating to sit back and watch as they came up with the solutions because they had the potential. It's all in them already. So how did that result in you becoming a podcaster? Oh, yeah, that's a fun story, too. I have so many fun stories, Zachary. This is going to be good. Um, how I became a podcaster. I would call myself an accidental podcaster. And the reason is this. I got asked to be on a leadership podcast series with an organization. And they were interviewing a bunch of different leaders. And they uh, had questions based on what they knew about your background, specific thing they wanted to put out there in the world. And they had asked me to be on two, one for the US and one for Europe. And they were asking different questions. Um, and it was fascinating to, to be a part of that. But after that, three, week, three or so weeks later, I got a phone call from the head of that uh, organization. And he said, yours was our most popular podcast. You got the most hits, most listeners. So we want to do more with you. What would, else would you like to do? What ideas do you have? And I said, well, I, I don't know. Let me think about it. And so I said, you know what I think is really missing out there in the podcast world is women in leadership. Women are not talked about as much about being in these leadership roles and what how they overcame any unique challenges they may face to get there. And so through talking with that, he said, okay, we're going to launch a women in leadership podcast and you're going to be the main person for that. I'm like, okay. And so then I learned podcasting, I would say through that experience for a year. And then we switched up the format and decided to start having guests on and talking about leadership. And sadly, their company decided to fold because of results of COVID. And he said, I want to gift this podcast to you and Susan to make it your own. And so we discontinued it and we've been doing Seasons Leadership. It was formerly known as Women in Leadership and we changed it to Seasons Leadership, but we're not focused just on women. Although we do focus on women, we are focused on leaders of all shapes and sizes and so um, we've even had a, um, at the time, 12-year-old animal activist 
on our podcast and she was absolutely incredibly amazing and she's a leader in her own right because she certainly made Susan and I feel like we were slacking because she's out there doing her thing in the world at 12 years old but um so anyway that's how we became we came to podcasting and we're currently setting up the um schedule for our 2023 podcast series now i gotta tell you i actually did a podcast where um what the the guest was actually uh she was um she was husbanding a a a group of puppies oh who decided to wake up in the middle of the podcast (laughs) so we're going along and we're talking about her life and her (laughs) her contributions and the things that you know the metaphysical world and then the puppies start to wake up <laughs> and she she says you know i'm really an animal rights activist so i just got to tell you i got these puppies under my desk and they're starting to wake up because they've been listening to the show so as we're talking you know she's trying to run around you know because you know they you know how puppies are they like to get around and and do stuff so they're not just going to sit there and just talk to, you know, so they, they start to wander around and she's, you know, <laughs> you know, she's kind of turning her head and, you know, she's speaking into the microphone, but she's watching these puppies. So, you know, that's, that, that's my, I don't know if that's leadership, but that's, that's how I, <laughs> now I got to ask you, I'm looking at, I'm looking behind you actually, and I see a lamp with what looks like Mickey hands. It is. Could you tell me a story about that? Oh, yes. I am a huge, huge Disney fanatic. Huge Disney fanatic. And I have been since I was a little girl. I grew up in the Midwest. And we lived out in the country. And didn't have a lot of money. Didn't have a lot of things. But one bright spot in my life was every Sunday evening, we would watch Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. And then it was followed by wonderful world of Disney. And so I, I was like, I just, I love everything about it. I'd be mesmerized for the entire time. Walt Disney is my favorite leadership example out there. Um, I have, you can't see other parts of my office, but there's Disney paraphernalia everywhere, including I have a sign right here that says, if you can dream it, you can do it. Walt Disney quote, Um, because it just makes me happy. It brings me joy. And so I have Disney things around my house and um, we go to Disney all the time. And in fact, we're going on another Disney cruise uh, at the end of this month. And I'm so excited about it, as excited about it as I was about my first one. So do you also see them as an example of quality? Because I remember back in the day, they were the one of the 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 real shakers and movers in the quality sector yeah i have an interesting story about that actually yes i do is the short answer um but the interesting story was after um this the uh, elton tankers had won the baldridge award and that was our first of two at boeing by the way but after that one i got contacted by the head of quality at disney asking could they come benchmark us and i said that's great. Of course you can come benchmark us. And so we did a benchmarking uh, trip where they came in and learned about all the quality practices we were using there. And then I got to go to uh, Disney and 
learn about some of the things they were doing as well. So it was a reciprocal benchmarking trip. And um, that was so amazing to me because even though I believe in uh, quality and I believe in excellence and any organization can achieve it, but it's different for each one, right? It still surprised me when Disney wanted to benchmark us. And I thought, you know, if you're, there's a, there's a leadership example in that, Zachary, because if you are, even if you are the best at something or seen as the best at something, you still got to keep your, your tools sharp, right? You still got to be benchmarking others and saying, is there something they're doing that we could be doing even better? And that was one of the wonderful things about Disney. He was never satisfied with the status quo. He kept wanting to make it better and better and better. And so, yes, I still think they're, you know, they've had some, some stumbles and some, but they're, we're all human beings, right? Companies are made up of human beings. And so there's going to be, oh, well, that was a good experiment, but didn't work out for us. So let's try something different. And so they've had a few of those, of course, but um, my bubble has not been burst on the wonderfulness of Disney. So yes, I think they're a great quality example. Okay. Here's something that, that I've never talked about with anybody. So I wanted to just run this by you. Okay. What I'm starting to see is I'm starting to see a shift. Whereas in the past, it was okay to talk about quality, about making something better, about doing something better. But what I'm seeing a shift to is speed. And, you know, basically what I'm hearing is that people need to learn the language of speed. So they need to understand that it's no longer okay to say, well, I'm doing this, you know, I may, I'm doing this in this way because it's going to be better. It's more important to say, I'm doing this in this way because there will be less uh, redo, so it'll be faster. Mm -hmm. Are you hearing the same things? I'm hearing similar, similar things for sure. Um, I will say, just like, um, with everything, there are cycles, right? So think about fashion for a minute. How many things have come back in style that were in style 30 years ago? And we're like, oh, that never needed to be repeated, but it's back, right? And it's newer, better. Oh, no, this is a new thing. We're calling it this now. And so um, when the Baldridge uh, program was started, when when uh, it's a it's a public law, and when that happened, it was because of the quality movement, as it's called, right? We in the United States didn't have enough focus on quality, whereas they did in Japan and other countries, and we were falling behind. And then everybody got on that bandwagon and, and we said, okay, we're going to focus on this with this quality award. And um, they update that criteria every two years to keep current with these changing needs, like in business healthcare, all their, all their criteria, right? Um, and so this is just the latest shift as I view it for where everybody's going. Someone started it, someone else caught on to it. And so now it's all about this. But I will tell you when something new like that comes along or a shift in the language around it, it doesn't mean the other priorities went away or it shouldn't mean the other priorities have gone away it should just be 
here's where our current focus is and here's why. I think all too often people just start, change their focus. We're, we tend to be lemmings in a lot of cases and just, oh, now we're shifted over here. Now we're going to talk about speed. Oh, now it's not okay to talk about quality and excellence and needing to be better. And they don't know why they're doing it. Um, Simon Sinek is one of my favorite leadership gurus, and he talks about your why, knowing your why. I think we often lose sight of our why. And so we got to bring ourselves back to it. And it's like, what is true for us? What is our why? Why are we doing this? And does the current fad, that direction serve us? And if great, if it does great, go for it. If it doesn't, then buck the trend. Don't don't just go along because everybody else is talking that language. Um, and there's, uh, I, the leader we had on the Airlifton Tanker programs at the time when I was there, and this was very revolutionary and controversial. In aircraft manufacturing, schedule has always been king. Schedule is everything. You have a moving line, you just do things you just keep going, right? Well, in this case, we were having poor quality issues. And so our leader said, stop the line. Make sure everything that's supposed to be done in that position is done in that position to high quality, and then it can move to the next position. And so by doing that, he put quality first. That doesn't mean that schedule wasn't a priority, and it didn't mean that cost wasn't a priority but they were just lesser priorities than quality. And so I think that was brilliant. It was also took a lot of courage to do that because it was definitely bucking the way we've always done things here. And so, but it worked for them and it really made the difference. So long answer to your question about that, what you're seeing, the shift towards speed, but yes, I am seeing that as well. I'm just saying, I think people maybe need to take a pause and say, hmm, does that work for me? You know, because like, I'm never going back to bell bottoms. They just do not work for me, right? I don't care what the trend is. Yeah, I guess what I'm getting at is that the the purpose doesn't change. Uh, the fit doesn't yeah. change because I'm big on fit. You know, fit for purpose. You know, does it do what it needs to do yeah. within the budgetary constraints? Yep. But I've had some conversations with people who are saying, well, I need to do this because it's better. You know, you're asking me to do something that's going to cause me to, you know, it, yeah, it's faster, but now I got to do it two or three times. And, you know, Ballwidge, I, I go back to Demings. You know, mm -hmm. I'm a huge Demings fan. You know, I, uh, I, I, whenever I hear of uh, economic crisis and, and things going and I say, well, why don't we just go look at what Deming told the Japanese? You know, why, why, why is it we're, we're trying to reinvent this? You know, who's the only person who basically took a, took a country from nothing, you know, basically a, a, a steaming pile of rubble because we had bombed them back to the stone age, you know, for lack of a better term, you know, a gross term. But we, we, I mean, there, there were no factories and they started, they started, the Japanese started with toys, yeah. you know, because that's all they could start with. 
and, and their whole strategic, you know, their, their strategic intent was we want to take over the luxury car business. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, okay, it may take us 25 years, but that's where we're headed. So we're building toys today, but give us a generation and you'll be driving Lexus. You'll be drive, you know. So yeah, okay, so you can laugh at us now. And I mean, and there was a, I mean, I like to, I, I, I view uh, movies as kind of time capsules. Yeah, me too. And you look at the James Bond series where they're talking about the Japanese. Oh yeah, we've got these Japanese toys and they're not very good. Oh, 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 oh that's so funny. And then in the seventies, you got the, oh my God, we're closing down our factories cause the Japanese are eating our lunch. Right. And uh, I can remember in, in the nineties, going to um, going to these uh, economic development forums. And the joke was, you know, what's the difference between an American company and a Japanese company? And everybody look at each other and go say, the Japanese don't nail down their uh, machines. They leave them so that when, if they find a better way to move to use them, they move them. In US companies, we bring in a quality engineer. We bring in all kinds of engineers, and these engineers tell us this is the best way to do this. The people on the line go, but that doesn't work for us. And they said, no, this is the we have degrees and we've we've studied this, and this is the best way to do this. And we're like, in Japan, they go, okay, this ain't working. You know, everybody can can go up and pull the lever and say, stop the line. We need to move this because it's not working. And, you know, I, I think some of some of that is lost on today's generation, not for their, you know, it's not their fault. But part of it is we don't have that manufacturing mentality anymore. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Absolutely true. What do you think about that? <laughs> well, I will tell you this. Um, when Baldridge was first created, and it's in that same time period you're talking about, the Japanese were eating our lunch, and we're like, what has happened to quality in the U.S.? What we got left in the dirt, what has happened? And so um, Baldridge was signed into law and uh, became a national quality program. It was primarily manufacturing at that point primarily manufacturing. Over the years, they added more criteria and expanded the reach. So it was in healthcare, education, small business, large business, um, not-for-profit, you name it. And they had expanded out to that. But as they were doing that, because that's where the shifts were happening in the focus on excellence, focus on quality, um, manufacturing was reducing was waning down in the focus. And we've uh, worked with, I say we, I was on the Baldridge board for over 12 years. Um, We worked with lots of organizations to try and um, regenerate interest in manufacturing areas for this, because I see it as a cyclical thing. I think it may come back at some point, it'll look different, but it may come back at some point and they'll go, oh my gosh, we need something because we're so far behind and we haven't. Well, if you just kept up using the things you knew that worked, which is 
the ability to say, this isn't working, let's shift, then you wouldn't be in the situation. But we're human beings and we're doomed to repeat history. So. As we start to wrap up, mm -hmm. Debbie, is there anything you wish more people would ask you? That's a great question. I don't know that I wish more people would ask me anything, but I wish more people would, yeah, maybe it is a question actually. More people would say, how can I do better, be better, be more than I am today, be curious, be, um, you know, realize my dreams. And what I get is a lot of people who are in, unfortunately, victim mentality where they're sitting there wringing their hands going, oh, all this horrible stuff is happening to me and my life sucks and I can't do this or I can't do that. And my wish, if I had a magic wand, uh, Disney reference, um, if I had a magic wand and could wave it and say, okay, you're going to get whatever your wish is. What do you want? And have them stop and you know pause and think about that and go, oh, I am the creator of my own universe. I'm the creator of how I show up and what I do and what I don't do and the choices I make. That would make me so happy. And then I would have to find a new job because they wouldn't need coaches. <laughs> now, do you think that's because they don't have that manufacturing mentality? I wouldn't say that I think it's necessary because they don't, in some cases, yes, but I don't think it's necessarily that so much as um, I, I feel like we've become, we, we've got so much information thrown at us every day, all the time available to us. And we don't connect anymore, Zachary. We don't connect like you and I are doing right now. People who just met and are having this great conversation about the way things are and getting each other's opinions and listening. Um, we don't do that anymore. It's all social media. It's all, you can sit at your computer all day long. As long as you have a smartphone, you think you're golden, but you're not connecting with people. And um, you could tie that to manufacturing in a way, because when you're manufacturing things, it requires people to be there in person together, right? To, to make these things happen. And that's where bonds get formed and friendships and you learn things from the peer group that you're with. And so I think it gets back to connection, whether it's in manufacturing or otherwise, but at the people level, it's about connection. Do you think this could be also be associated with the issue of speed? I do think it could be associated with the issue of speed. Um, if people are saying, I got to do this, I got to get this done, I got to get it done by tomorrow, I can't, I can't waste time on self-improvement or exercising or getting out in nature or meeting with my friend for a cup of coffee because no, this is king, I got to do this right now. And, I, and, and that's what's expected of them or what they think is expected of them for all the organizations they work for because everyone's just going so fast. And I'd like to encourage them to invest in yourself. Take a moment and invest in yourself. Life's not going to fall apart if you take a minute and breathe. 
Okay, so I got to also follow up on that issue where you said, you know, if I got everybody to do the things that they were that they need to do, then I don't have a job. So I got to follow up on that. Okay. And I got to ask you, what gets you out of bed every morning? I love getting up in the morning. First of all, I'm a morning person. <laughs> um, I used to get up at 4.30 every morning while I was in my corporate job. And I'm happy to not do that anymore, but I still love getting up in the morning. What gets me up in the morning and the first things I'm thinking about is... And what makes you want to get up and get at it, you know, versus, okay, it's 4.30 now, it's it's 5.30. Oh, man, it'd be better at 10.30, you know. You know, I want to be in... Versus, you know, you're in the preferred mode now, mm -hmm. but you could have just as easily have gone to the vacation mode. Oh, yeah, yeah. I do take my share of vacations because I could call it. But I mean, you, you know, if, if you <laughs> if you're if you've gone to preferred, you could have just as easily gone to vacation. Yes, so I could. What gets you? What you get you out of bed? What motivates you? Making a difference in people's lives. Just that simple. Just that simple. In fact, my um, company name that for Debbie Collard Executive Coaching and Leadership Development is actually my the legal name is a positive difference and it's that for a reason because that's what i want to do i want to make a positive difference in people's lives i can't top that i i, I... <laughs> so what's the best way to follow you on social media oh there's multiple ways to follow me on social media so i am on um linkedin i'm on facebook or Metas, because I'm also on Instagram. Um, and I post regularly on there, either follow me as Debbie Collard or on Seasons Leadership or both. Um, we also have a Seasons Leadership website in addition to the Debbie Collard website. And we have a Patreon subscription site for Seasons Leadership. So there's multiple ways to find us out there. Debbie, thank you for joining us on the Subscription Maker Podcast. Thank you so much, Zachary. It has been a blast. This is your host, Zachary Alexander. Please join us next time as we talk about what it means to be a subscription maker.